Acts. It's chapter 5, verse 42, through chapter 6, verse 7. Um, give me just a couple seconds to get there. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Please be seated. blessing to have each one here this morning. Blessing to have Colette and Zach here and our visitors. Um, Acts 542, 6-7, that's the verses we're going to be looking at this morning. I've titled this message, The Right Stuff. The Right Stuff. Before we begin, let me open with a word of prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for the time we spent in Sunday school this morning and how you lined that up. Father, I ask that you would open your word to us in a in a wonderful, fresh, and exciting way. Would you teach us things that we otherwise could not know, would not know, and remind us of things we've known for a long time. Father, as I say every week, and I ask again today, I ask that you keep me from saying anything I should not say. And may you be pleased with what's proclaimed in our response to it. For the glory of Christ, Father. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Uh, many people today have abandoned Religion, that's not anything that you guys are unfamiliar with. The abandonment of religion is common. If you were going to go into, the, into any denominational churches around the world, or, or uh, Patrick could give testimony about what it's like in Ireland, and, and go around the world and see what's happened. There's this abandonment of all things religious. And how often have people claimed that, that their church is out in the woods? and being alone in God's creation. I think before coming to faith in Christ at some point, I might have said very similar words myself. Uh, that's a few years back, but I might have said something similar myself. I would not want to downplay the importance of time spent alone with God, but I do want to say such a statement can set aside the fact that the church itself is a creation of God's. If you want to experience God's creation you can find it in that assembly that he has called the church. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And Jesus said, I will build my church. The church is a living organism. It's a creation of God. What a better place to experience the handiwork of God than in a local church. 
And some will say, well, I'm just not into organized religion. And that's understandable with so many distortions of what the church really is. Little wonder folks get themselves there. And our response to that kind of a statement, I'm not into organized religion, might be something like this. Would you prefer disorganized religion? Or we might say to someone, it's not about religion, but it's about a relationship, right? And those are good things to share. But it's a relationship that is meant to be nurtured and brought to maturity in that one body that is called the church. The relationship we have with God is meant to be nurtured and brought to maturity in the local body that's called the church. It doesn't happen outside the church. It doesn't happen how it ought to. Considering our text today, we can see that there are some things that the church is having to attend to. There's a complaint that need. There's ministry that's taking place in verse 42 of chapter 5. And there's this complaint that uh, Luke addresses in chapter 6, verse 1. And then there's this importance of the ministry of the church that is recognized through the rest of that text. And it's recognized verbally, the importance of the ministry of the church. As we've been going through the book of Acts, we've seen some of that importance, but uh, the apostles verbalize the importance of the ministry of the church. They, they get it right. They set the right stuff before the church and say, these are the important things. So I want to focus on that today, getting the ministry of the church right. That's what I would like us to focus on today. Now Luke has given us a concise history of the early church. Um, he, he, he begins the book of Acts maybe around, in, around 30 A.D. That's, that's not when he writes it. He probably writes the book of Acts somewhere between 63 and 80 A.D., but his, his opening statement, his opening words to Theophilus, um, in my former treatise, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And, and now I'm going to write new things to you. And, and when he begins to give him that history, and gives, which gives us that history, it begins maybe around 30 A.D. and extends to maybe around 62 A.D. There's about a 32-year, approximately a 32-year window of time that we're looking at in the books of, book of Acts. That's my point here. And in that in that window of time, where we're at in chapter 6 is probably about the fourth or fifth year of the history of the church. The church was born at Pentecost. Now maybe the church is about four, maybe five years old. So some time, some time has elapsed, right? And we've learned some things as we've gone through the book of Acts. We, we've seen that the congregation was of one heart and of one mind and of one soul. We thought, oh, is that... That's so good, right? We love that. But now we get to chapter 6, verse 1, and there's this complaint that arises. This murmuring begins. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. The apostles have been, uh, just recently, uh, last week we looked at the fact that the, the apostles were flogged and released for suffering disgrace for the name. Suffering disgrace for the name. Peter, who's one of these that are flogged, writes in 1 Peter 4, 5, 15, and 16, rather. And i got to think, when Peter's writing this stuff, I love reading First and Second Peter and looking back at, 
his life in the Gospels and in, in Acts and, and just thinking about what he must be thinking about when he writes First and Second Peter. But he writes in First Peter 4, 15 and 16, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. They suffered for the name of Christ, for proclaiming His name. It was the name of Jesus that they would not deny. That's what we've seen in the recent weeks as, as Soren has brought these uh, mission moments to us. There are people that are still suffering for the name of Jesus. They won't deny our Lord. They won't do it. People still do that today. And they would not stop speaking of Jesus either. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were just persistent to keep on keeping on with the proclamation of the gospel, the teaching, preaching, and prayer, and, and to the attending of, uh, to the needs of, of others. That, that's what the church was involved with. That's been the focus of the early church, along with some signs and wonders that confirmed the message that they were preaching. But really, the focus of the early church was this teaching, preaching, prayer, and attending to one another's needs. That was their focus. So they're getting things we would say we recognize this is a spirit-led church and they're getting it right. They're not off base in any way, shape, or form. They're getting things right. And as they're in the middle of this getting things right, a problem arises. Ron talked about it in Sunday school this morning. He shared about missionaries that shared with him at one point or, and talked about things, and as he listened to them, he realized they were doing the right things, but it just worked out awful. Well, this, this, is, this is like a sense of that here. They were doing the right things, and, and this problem comes. This text that Howard's read for us gives us a full picture of ministry. Getting the ministry of the church right when faced with problems. If you're a note taker, this message has three points, and the first one is starts with a P, and it's problems. Getting the ministry of the church right when faced with problems. In the first two verses of our scripture reading, uh, chapter 5, verse 42 and 6, 1. Imagine that. Facing problems when serving others, when faithfully serving others. Coming up against problems, imagine that. We, we've been reading about them and seeing that they've been getting things right when we hear about this problem that arises. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus as the Christ. We probably should not be surprised that in the midst of faithful ministry, a problem arises within the church. Someone might conclude that if the church is getting things right, there would never be any problems. But that's just not the case, is it? That is just not the case. Because the next verse says, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, so not only were they faithful in proclaiming Christ, it was a fruitful ministry. And then right after that, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration, or the daily distribution of food. The 
the early church was a powerful instrument in the hands of God, attending to daily needs, uh, spiritual needs and physical needs both. Day after day, going house to house, they were proclaiming Him. There was this, this part of the ministry of the church, this event. I, I look at this as an evangelistic campaign that went on for years. It took place in the temple, and it took place from door to door. They went from house to house every day with this evangelistic campaign. You can be saved through faith in Christ, proclaiming the gospel to everyone. They proclaimed the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The good news was all about Jesus. The good news wasn't about, hey, if you come along with us, we're going to take care of you, we're going to feed you, it's going to be your best life now. We talked about that in Sunday school a little bit too this morning. It was... You can have newness of life in Christ. That was the good news. But a problem comes right in the midst, midst in the, of that faithful proclamation. There's a dispute, a distraction, you might say, some disunity. Again, we've been reading, we're all of one mind, one heart, one soul, but now a different, a different influence has come in. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? doesn't come from the Lord. The church has grown so much and so fast that they need that the things the things that need attention have become a bit of a challenge, I should say it that way. And the Lord's been adding to their number. Now they're experiencing multiplication. They were just adding to the number. 5,000 were added. Now they're multiplying to the number. The number's been multiplied. And they've had the right ministry. But now, to do it right, they're recognizing, they're recognizing, the apostles are recognizing, to do it right, to get it right, to get the ministry of the church right, they can't do it all. They just can't do it all. It's not possible. Now, without getting some help and some organization. And so they're going to get it right. They, and the first, the first way they get it right is by recognizing they're facing a problem, right? So they're going to take action. They don't pretend that there is no problem. They see it for what it is. And I think there's two problems here, at least a couple. There's partiality going on between who's getting how much, and then there's this murmuring. There's two problems. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, and the, and the Hebrews mentioned there are Hebrew-speaking Jews, and there's a bit of a cultural difference, and some are being favored over the others, and tensions rise, and there's this murmuring that comes up. The problem is concerning a daily distribution of food. seems like a small thing, but this destructive nature of murmuring enters in. And this was a ministry to widows. How could that get messed up, right? Performed by the church as a group. But it must, have, it must have been loosely attended to by the apostles and those that were performing the work, right? It must have been loosely attended to that way. But that wasn't going to be enough because the church is multiplied. There's so many believers now. And this is not the last word in the New Testament on caring for widows. James says that religion that God accepts is to look after orphan and widows in their distress or in their old age, maybe he says it that way. In another place, Paul gives instructions about how the church ought to care for widows and who should be considered a widow. 
that is to be cared for and who is not to be considered a widow that is to be cared for. He gives clear instruction about that and why it is that way. Because sometimes giving support is the wrong thing to do. Sometimes giving hurts. It doesn't help. So this isn't the last word on widows. There is a time when giving does harm. But this daily ministry was a good thing. But a challenge has arose and the apostles recognize it and they don't wait for the problem to go away. They recognize the danger of the division, this murmuring. So they're proactive in guarding the unity of the church. You know, the first step to fixing any problem is recognizing you have one, right? That's just, even, even in non-spiritual sense, the first step to recognizing, to fixing a problem is to recognize you have one. What's interesting to me, when, when this begins, when they begin to settle this dispute, it goes right from verse 1 of chapter 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said. It's interesting to me, there is no mention made of an attempt to settle the dispute. The complaint arose that arose was in the form of grumbling or murmuring, which is an unhealthy thing to do. Uh, grumbling, murmuring. I heard a preacher speaking about the danger of murmuring, and he said, I've got some advice to give you about murmuring. And he paused like I'm pausing now. And then he said, don't do it. <laughs> that was his advice. Don't do it. Any place you see people murmuring in Scripture, it's not a good thing. God's people are called not to be grumblers. And there's a few verses I could have picked, but I chose Philippians 2.14 that says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And in that context, in that context there, Paul links this ministry that the church is involved with and the integrity of the church and the quality of the character of the individuals in the church and the value of the message that the church has to proclaim to the world to this idea of doing all things without grumbling. He links all those things together with this thought, don't grumble. And don't, don't be disputing. He links the ministry to the church and the integrity of the church together with that thought. Don't, don't be doing that because of the ministry that the church is involved with and the integrity the church ought to have and the quality of the character of the individuals in the church and because of the value of the message the church has to proclaim. Don't murmur. Don't grumble. Don't do it. So the apostles don't focus on the, on the dispute. They focus on eliminating the root of the problem, which is the fact that someone needs to be in control in, in, to be managing this better. The daily ministry of food or the daily distribution needs a greater amount of attention than what it has been getting lately. So the apostles propose a solution to the whole congregation. That brings us to our second point, the proposal. If you're a note taker, the second P there is a proposal. We're talking today about getting the ministry of the church right. And to do that, they're going to place a prominence on the Word of God and prayer in this proposal. They get this problem right by seeing it as an opportunity that God's provided 
That's what that's what they do. That's what I think they that's what I see them doing. They're progressing the church right through the problem that's come up. And th- and this proposal begins with a with a call to order. So the twelve summon the congregation of the disciples, or the twelve summon the whole congregation, your text might say. They called the multitude of the disciples unto them. The apostles are taking action with what I've kind of termed the first congregational meeting. The first ever congregational meeting recorded in Scripture. Here it is. They take seriously the potential threat of murmuring and disunity, and they call them all together. But they don't call them together to rebuke them and say, you bunch of losers, what are you doing grumbling about this? And why are you favoring these people over these? They don't do that at all. They recognize, really, the problem is with them. They can't do it all. They can't do it all, and they need help. And they begin with a declaration of what is right. They don't begin by asking questions and saying, well, what do you think? Let's take a poll. Let's take a survey. How are we going to fix this? They just declare what is right. They say in uh, verse 2, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God. That's the first order of business for the apostles in this statement. Just to make that statement clear, to declare that, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God. With that statement, they set before the church the importance of the ministry of the Word of God. Uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says that God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He's given them to prepare God's people for the works of service so so that the body of Christ may be built up. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given to the church to prepare God's people for works of service. The the, the ministry of the church is to be done by the church, by the whole body. And the ministry of the Word of God prepares the people of God for the ministry of the church. The ministry of the Word of God prepares the people of God for the ministry that the church is called to to do. I mentioned to Ron earlier this week, this this text has been kind of convicting to me because I'm the kind of guy that likes to do stuff. I like to be busy doing things. But in that doing of things, I end up neglecting the most important thing sometimes. This, this has been a convicting message for me to prepare. I want you to know that. These men, they're not willing to take care of one area of neglect at the expense of neglecting the most important thing that they have in their care, which is the ministry of the Word of God. And I would just take note of this fact, that these are men who walked with Jesus. These are apostles. They were raised in Judaism. They know their Old Testament better than anyone in here, and I'm confident of that. I might have that wrong, but I'm confident of it. 
They were empowered by the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit in ways that are unique to them alone. And they did not feel that they could do one thing without the neglect of the other. They didn't feel up to the task of doing all of it. Chapter 2, in the second part of that, he said, they say it's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. They're not downplaying the importance of this ministry that they were involved with in serving in the daily distribution of food, and that is obvious by the qualifications they put on the seven that they're asking for. But they're aware of their own limitations and the importance of doing right by the ministry of the Word. And by the ministry, and by the ministry to these widows, so they call the congregation to a decision. Their proposal moves on. They begin with a call to order. They declare what is right, and now they call the congregation to a decision. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. They call the congregation. And say, look, this is the problem. We can't do all this. And they don't just leave it for them to decide what to do. We want you to select seven men to take care of this because we can't do it. They were to select. They were to choose seven men. Seven men from among them. That would be the men they would know. They would know personally. And this is a, size, this is a good-sized group of men to oversee this portion of this ministry of the church. They're, they're not looking at this as some small thing. Hey, pick a couple of guys and see if this works out. Select seven men to take care of this. They take this ministry seriously. To get the ministry of the church right, they're delegating to the congregation this selection of these seven men. And they're really trusting God here, that God is going to guide the congregation in their choices been a part of some congregational meetings um, from from this side of the pews, and I've been a part of congregational meetings from that side of the pews. It's been a long time since I've been on that side of the pews, but from this side of the pews, you're always thinking, what do we want to talk about? Because we don't want to get it and put a stumbling block in anyone's way and have a dispute arise up over nothing, and people are arguing about carpet. We don't want to be the cause of that as leaders in a church in any way, shape, or form, Right? But you've got to trust God that God is leading a congregation. You've got to trust that God leads His people. And that's what they're doing. They're trusting that God is going to lead these people together. There's already this dispute happening, and they're just, Lord, we trust that You are guiding these people by the Holy Spirit, that they can choose seven men, the right men. So they, they, they delegate that to them. Choose seven men. And then they, they, again, they don't, just do, they don't just say this without any instruction. They give them instructions. They lead with instructions. They give them the qualifications because it's no small thing to serve in any capacity in the church. It is no small thing to serve in any capacity in the church. They say choose men of good reputation. These are men known to be honest, trustworthy, Men, men who do not show partiality, men whose word you can trust. When they say something, that's what is. 
men full of the Spirit. These are men who are under under the influence of the Holy Spirit, not self-willed men. Not self-willed men, but men who demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kind of men they're asking them to pick. Men who demonstrate those Spirit-filled qualities. And full of wisdom. That's men who can make practical application to biblical truth. Not just have biblical truth, but make a practical application. I know what we need to do. Can make a decision. Men who have demonstrated the ability to manage things well. So they call them to this decision of picking these men so that they can designate these men. So the, so the apostles are able to designate these men to put them in charge of the task because they're going to lay their hands on them. They're going to they're give their approval when they say these are our seven guys. The apostles are going to give the approval and pray for them and put their hands on them and, and say, yep, we approve. Choose seven men whom we may put in charge of this task. The task of distributing the almsgiving. It was just a few weeks back we saw that people were selling their property just before Ananias and Sapphira kind of did it fake in a fake way. And they were laying the proceeds down at the apostles' feet. Now the apostles got to dole that. They got to deal with that. I think they're giving all of that over to these men and, and saying, take care of this business. This is a serious business. What do the apostles do? What's, what's the decision for themselves? This is, the, this is the decision they want the, the congregation to make. The decision for themselves is verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. If 12 apostles had to devote themselves to these two things, what would be the case for a pastor living in the world today? If 12 apostles had to devote themselves to these things, to get it right, what would be the case for a pastor living in the world today? And I I just take note of this. When they say we're going to devote ourselves to prayer, they mean they're going to take time out just for that. They're going to take time out just for that. Now, we're told to pray continually, right? And... When I'm driving propane tanker, I'm, I'm in prayer. When I'm driving to the church to come do something, I'm in prayer. While we're working on something here, I'm in prayer. But I don't think that's what this is. I don't think this is a multitasking prayer. I think this is time set aside, devoted to prayer. Time set aside, the apostles before God, praying for the things concerning the church and the ministry of the Word. seems to me, whatever this devotion was, it would require time devoted to just that very thing. We're going to devote ourselves to this. We're going to persevere in it. We're going to be constantly diligent to attend to this. And the other thing they're going to devote themselves to in that way is the ministry of the Word. The, the, the widows were being fed daily and they were going to daily be feeding the Word of God to those in need. 
That'd only be possible if they did not neglect the Word of God for themselves. Ron talked this morning about Elijah was running on empty. And he wasn't aware of how much so yet. I mean, yes, they were a very large and growing congregation, but they were 12 of these men. And we know they were apostles, and they needed to devote themselves to these things. How much more time would there be needed for a pastor of a church today? And what would it produce? What would it produce? It's a question I'm, I'm asking myself as I'm, as I'm preaching this now, as I studied this this week, what would it produce? And that's the third P, in your, if you're a note taker, the product. What did this proposal produce? They set this before the congregation. We want you to select these men so that we can put them in charge and we're going to devote ourselves to these things. Verse 5, the statement found approval with the whole congregation or found favor with the whole congregation. That is remarkable to me. The whole congregation was pleased with that. There wasn't a person in the congregation. This is thousands of people. This is a smaller congregation. It's pretty easy to get all of us in unity. If you get a congregation of a couple hundred, sometimes you'll have a little bit of disharmony. I couldn't imagine a congregation of thousands saying, yeah, that sounds about right. We're doing that. It says it pleased the whole congregation. That means they, were, they weren't just pleased about it. They were excited about it. They were excited about this. The statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose. They chose. They made the choice. They made a list of seven men. And I'm not going to touch on these men today. We're coming quickly to the close of this message. We're going to touch on him a little bit next week. But just this first man, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Where does Stephen go from here? That's more to next week. But what a role Stephen's going to play in very soon. And that makes me just think that problems that arise are really just an opportunity for greater growth and not just in numbers. Not just in numbers, but in depth, hey? If Stephen isn't put into this role, does he become this man that he becomes quickly here? I'm not so sure he does. We forget that the people that we look at in Scripture are just people. They're men and they're women. We talked about Elijah this morning. What a remarkable person. James says about Elijah, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed. I remember the first time I read that. Elijah was a man just like us. What? Yeah, he was just a man. Verse 6. When they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, verse 5, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Verse 6. And these they brought before the apostles 
And after praying, they laid hands on them. This laying of hands didn't give them any special powers. I don't believe that. I think this is a sign of them transferring the responsibility from themselves to these men. This responsibility isn't ours no more. Directly, it's yours. And they would sense the weight of that. They hand the task over to them. And they do it right in front of the congregation. That sounds like order, doesn't it? That sounds like organization. God is a God of order, not a God of disorder. The church is getting organized and recognizing these men as men who are placed in a role to serve, to serve in this ministry of the church. The rest of the congregation is going to continue to be involved. These men aren't going to be doing this solo, but they are overseeing it to make sure it goes off without a hitch. Ministry is a service. Ministry is, is nothing but that. It's serving. It's serving. Jesus Himself said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Ministry is just that. It's serving. Whatever capacity. So the product, what was the product of this proposal? It pleased the whole congregation. They got excited about it. They actually followed through and they chose the men. And um, they brought them before the apostles. The apostles laid their hands on them, transferred the responsibility to them. I think this is the first group of deacons. I know people have different opinions about that, but then you look at the qualifications of deacon, you look at the qualifications for these men, you see what they're involved with. I don't think the, I don't think the math is that difficult. I think this is the first group of deacons in the church. What's the next thing that happens? Verse 7, and this is where we're going to close real quick now. The Word of God kept spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The early church was a body that was focused on serving others. And that ministry was a ministry of the Word of God and a ministry of prayer and a ministry of taking care of the needs of each other. And that was blessed by the Lord as they stay focused on those things and and it, it, it allowed for this multiplication to take place. They progressed through this problem. It, in the last part of verse 7, even many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith because the church was shining brightly for Christ. Because they got it right. They have the right stuff. They're given attention to the right things. And the blessing of growth and the depth, not just growth in numbers, but the depth as they labored at getting the ministry of the church right was evident. Was evident. I began this message today talking about many people have abandoned religion, and that is true. And often people claim that their church is out in the woods and being alone in God's creation. And I... I just made the statement that the church itself is a creation of God. So if you really want to experience God's creation, you can find that in the assembly that's called the church. What better place to experience the handiwork of God than in a local church? But then there are so many distortions of what the church really is. No wonder folks have the objection to organized religion. There's so many 
distortions to what the church is. There's the prosperity gospel. There's the gospel according to someone other than the gospel of Christ, right? There's so many distortions of what the church is to be all about. But the church is to proclaim Him. It's to proclaim Jesus. It's to exalt Him. It's to worship Him. He is central. And any time you get away from that and get over to other stuff, you just get off point. You just get off point. I wanted to close with that thought. What is central to the church is Jesus Christ Himself and newness of life through faith in Him. The church is not about a church leader of some kind. It's not about peripheral things. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Okay, let me close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time. Father, I don't know what You'll do with this message. you just drive it home to our hearts and um, help us to get it right, Lord even in this place. In Jesus' name, for His glory, amen.